This is Julia Siegel, the leasing director at Compass, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of The Real Talk Podcast. Thank you always for our listeners for listening. We are on episode 64. Believe it or not, almost, well, actually closer to 100 than we were when we first started the, the uh, Real Talk Podcast platform. And uh, I just wanted to always thank my listeners, our loyal listeners and subscribers, my clients, uh, my sphere of influence, uh, people on my newsletter. Just a huge thank you for being a loyal subscriber and always listening and paying attention to our podcast platform. Last episode was episode 64. I had my friend and a fellow business partner, Phil Garcia, one of my main contractors. We talked about permits, licenses, COI, insurance, liability, things of that nature. If, if you like the renovation aspect of real estate and want to get more information on that world in New York City, please listen to that episode. Uh, and then 63 is one of my favorite episodes. We talked about how to leverage your own business and using your utilizing leveraging credit cards. I've been an avid turner of credit cards for a long time and why not have your own, your hard-earned money work for you by leveraging the appropriate credit cards at the appropriate times to strategize your, whether it's business travel, holiday, vacation, whatever it may be, to leverage it against your business. Uh, and then on episode 62, we spoke about Adam. We, I spoke with Adam Pure, who is the author and editor of The Real Deal. Uh, his book, his most recent book in The Real Deal's new book, The Kings of New York, I started reading. Excellent read. If you love the history of New York City real estate, please give that episode a listen and also buy the book. Uh, the link's all over the place on, in The Real Deal if you just go into their website. And I'm not getting a commission. I'm not getting paid to say that. Just a genuine intellectual curiosity about the history of New York. So today, I am, it is with great pleasure to have on Compass's New York City Director of Leasing, Julia Siegel, on the Real Talk Podcast. Julia joined the Compass team as the leasing director back in July of 2021. So actually, one year and one month ago. Congratulations. Right. Happy one year, one month anniversary. Thank you. Uh, she joined to provide support to all of our sales managers at Compass as well as our Compass agents in our region transacting rentals, as well as assisting in buildings, uh, building a better rental platform, etc. Uh, she came from another company uh, that was previously known as Bold, who I believe is now part of Compass, right? Yes, That's Bold right. was acquired Board was prior to me coming on. Okay, so Bold was acquired. Bold was a rental brokerage that primarily focused on the representation of essentially new development rentals across Brooklyn and Manhattan, Exclusive correct? business, primarily. That's right. Okay, so exclusive meaning on the landlord side only. Correct. Julia, prior to starting a career in real estate, worked in the hospitality industry in New York City, Originally hailing from New Jersey, Julia graduated from Purchase College State University of New York with a BA in journalism. I did a little research. I've actually never heard of Purchase College, so I did a little research, and it is a one of the top liberal arts school in the United States, and it's also a big acting school. Yes, they have a lot of conservative conservatory programs, so it's actually the SUNY Fine Arts School with a smaller liberal arts program. I always kind of fancied myself to be artsy-fartsy, but mm -hmm. I have a lot of artistic ability, hence the liberal arts side, and now working in real estate. I see. Well, Danielle, my co-host, say yes. hello. Hey, she, everyone. There are two notable alumni that uh, graduated from Purchase, both actors. One of them, if you could guess the actress's name, a little game here, Q Game Show Music. <laughs> oh, I can, I know the Q actress. Q Game Show Music <laughs> is a movie 
based on vampires and the main character main job is to hunt down evil vampires i can't say i've watched many vampire movies but the actor's name is wesley snipes okay I still don't know. I'm not is good with pop Blade, culture. Is that a Blade Runner reference? That's right. Well, okay. no, not Blade Runner. No, no, no is Blade. that Blade Runner? No, it, uh, it was a no. No. Okay. Never mind. I'm terrible with pop culture. So. Me too. I got the movie wrong. And uh, he, I was like, I know the actors that went to purchase. Did you? I, that did not. That's the one. That is not who I thought we were talking oh, about. It's not Blade Runner. It's Blade. You got it. You had it. Close. 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 Blade Runner is a totally different movie. I believe Blade Runner is a Disney movie. I think you're right. The I one with the ice skating. That's right. Yeah. Or, is that or not. No, that's Blaze like Glory. Roller, like roller blades. <laughs> like cutting the edge? I'm going to have to cut this part out, guys. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to cut this uh, the, the next. All right, so, Julia, back to you. The, the next quiz is uh, this actress was in a movie based out of Asia that was a story about wealthy families going after other and dealing and in, in relating with other wealthy families. I have no idea. Danielle? Talking about the rich Asians? Right. Crazy rich That's Asians. Crazy but uh, who, rich Asians. who's the actress? The actress is Constance Wu. Oh, oh yeah, she's I didn't good. Know that. <laughs> okay. I'm pretty sure so, Edie Falco went to purchase. Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. So yeah. I, There's I, probably I, other great. What I did was I picked out of a long list of names, just the two that I resonated with myself. Fair, fair. <laughs> So, uh, all right, so that's that. So look, we're going to pivot. Today on this episode, I have Julian, and I'm really excited to talk about this topic just because it's controversial, it's happy, it's sad, it's angry, it's a topic that everyone can relate to, especially if you live in New York City or just at, basically if you're maybe a young adult. It's about the rental market in New York City, and this is... One of the toughest parts of living in New York is finding an apartment and moving into the city. A lot of people, I think, have burned out and moved out of New York City because how brutal it is to find housing in New York City. So just want to go through a couple stats. And Julie, maybe you can give me your thoughts on this. Um, according to Value Penguin, of the 3.19 million occupied housing units in New York City, a little over two-thirds are rentals meaning less than one-third are owned by actually people that can live in them. One, less than one-third. So, you know, from a business standpoint, it's a good business to have if you have a rental brokerage. Unlike markets like, you know, let's just uh, call it another town or city, Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. There's just not as many rental properties as available. There's probably more home ownership available. Same with other cities like Chicago or L.A. So while it's, it seems abundant, and the rental market seems abundant, it's also a very niche market of operating a business in Manhattan where rentals dominate the housing market. According to the rent guideline boards of New York, most New Yorkers live in multifamily rental housing. They live in multifamily or rental housing rather than owning homes. According to the 2017, this is not even this recent, the housing and vacancy survey uh, that was conducted, one rental unit comprised of 62.9% of New York City's available housing stock. So one rental unit is comprised of 63% of New York City's available housing stock, housing stock, a far greater share than the national average of 36.1%. New York City 2017 had a total of about 3.5 million housing units. So in those, between the two surveys that were conducted, there was, an, there was about a 300,000 increase of housing units in New York City. And there still continues to be a shortage. So that's the discussion that we're going to have today, along with the business of rentals that we are in. But before we get into all that, 
I want you to, we're going to uh, jump into a section called one word answers. One word answers, I want you to answer the first thing that comes to your mind in one to two words. Okay. These following phrases or words. Uh-oh. All right. Let's go. Cue game show music. Okay, number one. New York City COVID rental market 2020. Ugh. <laughs> um, is that a word? <laughs> Does that count? Does that count? What if I say double ugh? Double ugh. Okay. Duh. So let's switch it up. New York City COVID rental market 2022. Ooh. Um, does that also count? Double. <laughs> it's cray. It's cray. It's okay. cray. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, real estate reality television. Meh. Uh, not for me. Okay. I live it. I live it. I don't need to watch it. Okay. All right. Rob Refkin. Great. Great. Okay. Landlords. <sighs> Mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Rent control and rent stabilization. We should have more of it. Broker fees. Keep them coming. Keep them coming. <laughs> Open listings. Cool. Okay. Limited exclusives. Hard pass. Mm. Co-op and condo transfer agents. Transfer agents? Mm-hmm. Or managing agents, transfer agents. <sighs> Hurdles. Hurdles. Street easy. Hurdles. Okay. TikTok and Instagram. Very cool. The future. Future. Craigslist. The past. The past. I have a bonus, uh, bonus question. Uh-oh. Bonus rounds. Okay. Eric Adams. The mayor. I like his voice. Okay. Oh, good voice. Okay. He's got a good voice. Sure. The rent stabilized versus rent control. Am I still on my only one to two words? Yes. Rent, I don't have uh, one to two words on that. Rent stabilized, real. <laughs> rent controlled, thing of the past. Okay. Co-ops and condos. Co-ops, legal discrimination. Condos, cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the best answers I've ever heard. Legal discrimination. Okay, great. So, what, what I want to do is we'll come back to some of these topics okay. that you said. But let's warm up a couple questions with you know who you are. We want to get to know who you are. We want to know the background of where you're from, why mm-hmm. you're in the business, and then uh, we'll deep dive into what you just said and more. So, where are you originally from, and what neighborhoods have you lived in in New York City? I am born and raised in New Jersey. What, what? What, um, part of, what part of New Jersey? Glen Ridge, New Jersey. Um, oh. It's a very tiny town wedged in between Montclair and Bloomfield. Most people at this point have heard of Montclair. Is that near where you're from, Danielle? I am from the Princeton area, so more south and central than yeah. that area. She's central yeah. and north. We have opinions on yeah. it. <laughs> There's a rivalry I hear of yeah. New Jersey people. Yeah, north, central, south. South, okay. Yeah. Is the beach part, is that central? That's mostly south. I think there's some arguments. There's some shore points. Yeah, there's some shore in the central. Yeah, but Mm -hmm. it's South Jersey is most of the shore points. Yeah, got it. Understood. And then there's like Western New Jersey, and no one really cares about that. And what neighborhoods have you lived in New York City? I first moved when I first moved to New York. I lived in Gowanus before anybody knew what Gowanus was. Before Dinosaur Barbecue was there or the Bell House, Big Beach. That is even so. I'm so old and out of it. I I haven't even been there to Big mm-hmm. Beach. I know it exists. And then I lived in Fort Greene, Clinton Hill for a couple of years, and I spent most of my time in Greenpoint, where I lived for about a decade before I left the city. I see. Where in Greenpoint did you live? I lived in Eastern Greenpoint by McGorlick Park on Sutton Street. Uh, mm-hmm. Sure. I have it branded I on that. my body. Right. Right. I, I very, I, Sutton Street is where I kind of like came into my own, came an adult. It was my first time living alone. It was lots of breakups, lots of professional successes. It was 
it's a sentimental place for me. That's right. This is where, where you, a young adult became an adult. Exactly. Okay. McGlorick Park is a really nice park. It's way smaller than McCarran Park. Way smaller. It has more of a uh, local feel to it than McCarran. Especially on the weekends, McCarran gets a little run, run over yes, by. Yes, and a lot more trees, but a much smaller A lot smaller more trees park. and a lot quieter. That's right. That's right. Okay. Name me your go-to restaurant in Brooklyn and Manhattan. For Manhattan, I'm very partial to Chinatown. Okay. Um, really anywhere, but Noodle Village, M Shanghai, it kind of depends what I'm in the mood for. Uh-huh. But uh, Chinatown would probably be, we're coming into the city, where do I want to go? Obviously want to eat some authentic Chinese food. Okay. Uh, in Brooklyn, whoo, okay. So I worked and lived mostly in Northern Brooklyn in Williamsburg and Greenpoint. So the majority of my favorite restaurants are there. Bernie's, Frankel's, Calexico, mm-hmm. M Shanghai. I could not pick one. I love them all. Great. Yeah, I really like the the, the smaller, privately owned restaurant vibe seen in Greenpoint. So I agree that a lot of those that you just listed are basically exactly that. Yes. It's the local watering hole, the local hotspot. Yes. It's not owned by Tao Group. No, it's not. <laughs> Although there are a lot of the ones in northern Brooklyn, there are smaller, more independent restaurant groups that... If they're not the ones opening it, they tend to be like the silent partners, the financial backers, people that have been in the neighborhood a long time, um, you know, maybe career chefs or bartenders that then got into opening. So it does. It is a small world. That's there right. Still. It's a small conglomerate. That's right. Uh, one of my favorite bars in my in Williamsburg, Lucky Dog. Apparently, their ownership also owns several other similar. Rest- yeah, there's bars. a lot. There's a lot like that. That's right. Okay. Uh, favorite New York City neighborhood and why? Probably Greenpoint. I lived there for a long time. That's right. Easy answer. I love that it is a historically a very Polish neighborhood, so you have a lot of that old school charm, very neighborhoody. So that would be my favorite. And also very green. Yep. Okay. What makes New York City the best city in your opinion? I don't even think it's really my opinion. I think it's a fact. <laughs> but New York, New York is the best because there is there is something for everybody here. There is, and you can you can find all of your people. You can walk down the street wearing a pink dinosaur costume, and no, no one's gonna care. <laughs> no one's gonna care. No one's gonna look twice. The beauty of New York is everybody comes here because they're looking to do something right Mm -hmm. no one comes here because it's easier to settle down they're looking to do something so you have a city full of people looking to do something and i think that's really amazing obviously the restaurant scene here is also really amazing you can eat really great food from all over the world and it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive it's just it's a it's a magical place Mm -hmm. no i agree agreed so this leads me to my next question. New York City is great, but do you have a favorite city or state outside of New York City and why? Um, Don't say Central Jersey, though. I will not say Central <laughs> Jersey, although it is also great. Probably Nashville. My husband is from Tennessee originally. I imported him, but he lived in Nashville for a long time. We try to go a couple of times a year. It's a little, you know how people in New York go to like Miami or Vegas to, to let their let their hair down and let loose. We, we go to Nashville. Do you like their hot chicken? Very big fans of hot chicken. Yeah. My husband actually has some gold belly Hattie B's in our freezer right now because mm. he loves it so much. Mm-hmm. I also do love country music, but, and Dolly Parton, of course. Of course. 
No, I saw some hot hot chicken starting to grow. I saw a hot chicken outlet, not outlet, but a restaurant in Denver just recently. Yeah, hot chicken now is some uh, popularity. Becoming a regional thing, but if you are ever in Nashville, I highly recommend you go to Hattie B's. Okay, Hattie B's. We'll have to uh, find the find the link to that and put it into the show notes. Do you have a role model in the New York City real estate industry? And if so, who and why? You know, I don't I don't really think I have a role model. I feel like every manager I've had, I've really like learned something from. I've always really appreciated my female managers and coworkers especially, but I don't have a single a single role model, someone that I aspire to be or anything like I that. I think that's one one big thing in real estate that commonality across everybody is there's just not that one person that can be a role model just because everyone's experience is so so different. Yeah and everybody brings something different to the table and has a different area of expertise or something that they're really good at so I feel like everybody I've ever worked with has given me something or given me some knowledge that I really appreciate and um, I just hope I gave it back and paid it forward. Okay great. Danielle, do you have any role models outside of me? <laughs> <laughs> nope, just you. <laughs> Good it's answer. Really, it's really, really hard Raise. to find role models. Higher split. Yeah. Go. <laughs> <laughs> What's an insult that you receive that you, you're uh, proud of? Can we curse on this? Sure. I remember when I first got started, my first broker had to bleep all of our reviews on the website because multiple people would be like, Julia's no bullshit. And he had to like put in asterisks and stuff like that because I I'm um, politely straightforward. Mm-hmm. That's important, right? Yeah. yeah. And the jersey in me, maybe a little abrasive. The jersey in you. Oh, I like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. You can take the girl out, but you know. <laughs> exactly. You can take the girl out of jersey, but can't the, can't take the jersey out of the you girl. Can't take right? the attitude out of the girl. You feel <laughs> me, right. Danielle? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Give me an ideal day in New York City. What does that look like to you? Ideal day in New York City definitely starts with really goody, really good nutty iced coffee. Probably is in the spring or fall because that's our only good weather. <laughs> Sunny day, cool breeze, pastrami locks, brunch with friends, shopping, dinner in Chinatown. There we go. Do you have a specific spot in Chinatown that you said earlier? You mentioned earlier, was it... Uh... The noodle spot? Yeah, I like Noodle, noodle Village. Village. That's my sister and I's go-to spot when she still lived in the city. That's usually where we would meet up. Okay, all right, good. Uh, I like it. You skipped right to dinner, though. Oh, well, there's <laughs> shopping, shopping, there's there's drudge, there's strolling. Shopping. I mean, that can take a lot of time for that's a group true. of ladies. Oh, you're right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Sounds also, good. how early does my day have to start? If this is an ideal day. <laughs> to be sleeping in. You're yeah, sleeping I'm sleeping in a little bit. Okay, good. Sounds, sounds like... And meals are important. Meals are very important. Meals are <laughs> yeah, very That's important. a highlight. That's a highlight. What you eat, what you drink is a highlight. Yeah, eat, drink, shop. Perfect day. <laughs> Maybe... If it's summer, maybe a trip to the Rockaways. When so, I still lived in the city, I'd go to the Rockaways every weekend in the summer. You did say sleeping in earlier, but do you have a morning routine if you're not sleeping in? I do have a morning routine. It usually starts with me like rolling over and then my dog just crawling up onto my chest and then I pet her. Mm-hmm. We start that way. And then eventually my snooze goes off enough where I'm like, it's time. Brush teeth first, do a little stretching, a little yoga. Oh. At home, usually, uh-huh. you know, 
get ready for the day, take the dog on a stroll. I really enjoy taking care of my dog in the morning, no matter what the weather. I know it sounds cheesy and I do really love my dog, but seeing how happy she is to greet the day makes me happy and That's starts right. my day on like a nice, on like a nice thing. Even if I'm stressed, even if I didn't sleep as much as I wanted to, she, you know, the dog's always happy for a walk. It's <laughs> um, the best. Yeah, so it, it just like puts me in a better mood if I'm feeling a little anxious or like maybe don't want to like rush outside yeah 100 percent. i agree nothing makes you feel better than uh wagging tail and yeah they're pup. just so happy to greet the day <laughs> right uh all right so now that we got to know you a little bit more i want to deep dive into our topic for today the main questions pertaining to everything rentals new york city rental market new york city rental game as a business new york city rentals as a tenant being in their shoes I mean, it's a very, very high tension market, especially this year. And my first question to you is, you know, rents are extremely high this year mm -hmm. in New York City. There was a New York Post article that recently came out that the average rents are now surpassed $5,000 a month. So could you give me one or maybe two factors of what is causing this insane rental market? I mean, I think a big part of the current rental market is after we've somewhat recovered from the pandemic lockdown when you couldn't give the give them away. Everybody started back to moving. Everybody started back to new jobs, things like that, increases in rent. You have more and more people coming back to the city and there's just not enough housing. The rental market is extremely competitive right now, but it's always been some level of competitive. I think a lot of it, once the pandemic happened, I think a lot of people, they, you know, you can do whatever you want, right? I don't know if it's a life is short or perspectives change, but like if you want to move to the big city, now you move to the big city. Kids are going to school again. There was this backlog and why it came back so big, I don't really know. I also imagine some of it has to do with, with construction halting. Whatever there might have been coming to the market didn't at the same degree to keep up with it. But at the end of the day, there's not enough housing in New York City for people. So if you have any disruptions, it messes up the whole thing. And that's what I think we're seeing. COVID lockdown was a disruption and we're still feeling the effects of it coming back. You know, I, I am not an economist. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't 100% know, but it is really competitive and I don't see it really dying down anytime soon. I think it's going to stay this way at least for the rest of the year. Danielle, do you have another hypothesis based on what you said on why you think the rental market's this crazy? Yeah, I agree with a lot of the points that you said. It definitely appears to me that there's a lot of people who their companies are going back to the office, so that's why they're moving back. I also agree with the relocation. We have been experiencing a couple of tenants that decide to get new jobs in New York City to make a change of just where they want to live. So we've been seeing a lot of that too. And it does just appear that there's not enough housing at the right price for people. Mm -hmm. My, what, do you, what do you think about this? I think, I feel like in 2020, when we couldn't give these apartments away, I mean, rents were down 50% from what they were in 2020. A lot of people that wanted to move to the city still moved in in 2020. So the landlords mm -hmm. still had I would say lowish vacancy and those tenants are still here right they renewed their lease and they may have renewed at maybe reasonable renewal rates what mm -hmm. do you think about that 
I don't, it depends when they got the chance to renew. If people are renewing right now and they still had maybe a height of lockdown COVID rate, probably not reasonable to them. Mm -hmm. But the reality is whether you have a 30 to 50% increase in rent, it's still probably cheaper if you can afford it to stay in the apartment than to move right now. Mm -hmm. Certainly less stressful. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter the price point, right? Because we are seeing it across the board at all levels. And at the end of the day, if you're want to rent something for 10, if you're like, my budget's 10,000 a month for a two bedroom, you really want the apartments that are 15,000 a month, right? Everybody wants what's always just like a little bit out of reach. Sure. So no matter what, you have that problem and the market's so tight across the board, for the most part, you're going to run into problems. So I think we're also seeing, it's New York City, people are always coming, but I think we're seeing less turnover and less people not renewing their leases, assuming they can afford it. Right, right. Uh, th- th- I agree with that. The factor you said about more and more people wanting to move to New York City, do you think that's because, is it just because it's New York City? I mean, you know, there was an article about how New York City was dead just two years ago. Yeah, well, those people are idiots. Um, <laughs> <laughs> New York City's never dead. Things change, right? This pandemic, the height of lockdown, obviously made living in smaller spaces, living in big cities more challenging. But at the end of the day, where are you going to go? Where's going to pay you this type of money? Where are you going to go as a young person that if you're if you're not looking to settle down, if you want bars, you want restaurants, you want museums, you want art, you want all of these things, where are you going to get them if you're not living in the city? That's right. You said the keyword young. Now, not all young people can afford a $10,000, $15,000 apartment, let alone Most a $3,000. Most of them cannot. A $3,000 Sometimes their parents can. Um, so would you, would you say that the, a lot of the newer renters moving in just have wealthier family backgrounds? I mean, I, th- I do think that's a big part of it. I also think people figure it out, right? People work multiple jobs. They move further into Brooklyn and Queens. They move right. to upper Manhattan. You're definitely seeing that shift. They don't um, have to live on 5th and 17th Street. 100%. Chances are they're not going mm-hmm. to. Right. But also on the flip side, like if certain careers, certain things, certain industries, if you want to get to a certain level of success, you're in New York or you're in LA or maybe San Francisco or DC. There are only so many cities. But for the most part, all industries are in New York. That is not the case for most cities. You want to be in politics? Yeah, you go to D.C. You want to be in entertainment? Yes, L.A. And I'm not saying those cities don't have other industries, but... That's the major, if, ma- major yeah, player. If you need a job in New York, we have multiple major players. And so you that brings, I think, more people here. Also, I mean, it is. Like, is there... I don't know if you guys were in your 20s in New York City, but there's no greater place to be. Danielle is the closest one. You said young. So Danielle's the closest <laughs> one to still uh, coming out of college in terms of freshness. You know, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question. If you had you graduated Lehigh two years ago or even last year, would you want to be working from home in your mom and dad's house? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I so. would have probably still done the same thing that I did several years ago. Yeah. Well, several. <laughs> I mean, subjective. My, and listen, <laughs> seven years ago. Mine was... Yeah. Longer than I care to admit on any public forum. <laughs> but I mean, listen, my first apartment in Brooklyn, my bed was on two and a half inch blocks to even it out. 
Our <laughs> floors were so slanted. Um, our refrigerator door. We call that pre-war charm. Yeah. Our, it, you know what? As far as I'm concerned, character building. That's right. Our refrigerator door didn't open all the way because it hit the opposite wall in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But you had a refrigerator. I had a refrigerator. Start. We had a bathtub. The drain was on the opposite side of the faucet because of the slant. <laughs> and if you spilled anything, which we did often because... We drank a lot of 40s because it was all we could afford. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you know, you had to run to the other side of Cold the apartment 45? to get it. Reserve steel. God. Whatever was on sale. Old English. I think old, old English. English. Oh, yeah, yeah. Old English. Yeah, Probably yeah. Cold 40. Uh, when you're, <laughs> for us, when we were drinking 40s, it didn't matter. It's it was, bottom all, of it the was steel all the same. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was volume. It was, it was just getting the job done. Very strong. Yeah. But I do think that's also another thing about New York is, Housing is really expensive, but in terms of like drinking, eating, and going out, depending on what you like and what you're into, you can do that fairly easily on a budget. You have Mm -hmm. a 24-hour subway system when it works, and you can just go by 40s, and this doesn't (laughs) exist anymore, and I might be aging myself a little, how we did it in my day. There used to be this email list called openbar.com. Yes, I was there. Yeah, you were there. We're yeah. on the, yeah. Did you, Danielle? I was not have, there. You were not there? I, okay. It sounds like I wanted to be there, though. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's free happy hour. For, so basically listed on Friday, Saturdays, any day of the week, but focus on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Listed all of the open bars that started like 7 or 8 p.m. and went usually till midnight. And we just open bar hopped along the Lower East Side and then went to our favorite location at midnight, already in our 20s, right? Getting drunk was the priority. So mm-hmm. like we were young, that's what we did. And that's how we afforded to do that. That's right, is living be- on a budget. Yeah, living, living on a budget. What are some tips for New Yorkers for moving into the city this year? Oh man, have all your paperwork together. Yeah. Talk to a realtor, call somebody, get some free advice, whatever it is. Get your paperwork together, get it tight. If you're using a guarantor, get them comfortable with it in the beginning because it, the amount of paperwork we ask for in New York City is not common compared to most other places in the United States or abroad. It is considered a lot. So getting that documentation in order, um, getting your guarantors comfortable if you're using those, it's, it's really important. Also, kind of knowing what your rights are on the basic levels, the 2019 laws, they change, you know, we can only charge you $20 for an application fee unless it is a condo or a co-op building, things like that. Having a basic idea, but also maybe don't assume you're a real estate professional and you can interpret the laws if someone is telling you otherwise. Why do you think this is so such a hard concept for renters to understand that documents getting them prepared early and before even your search is so important. Why do you think that's so hard for renters to understand this? Because, I mean, I don't know, Danielle, how many, how many renters have we encountered that had everything that, you know, we asked them to prepare beforehand? Probably like 10% of the people are fully prepared. Right, and we do The rest like, are all over we, the place. We do like 120 to 150 rental transactions a year, so. I think a lot of times small. there's a lack of knowledge on the renter side, and then also there's an assumption that whatever real estate agent you're working with is trying to swindle you. I also think a big thing, now I know this isn't Talk or Danielle, but some real estate agents, especially rental agents, they're, you know, rentals move so fast and it can be just an in and out, a churn, 
they forget sometimes to take that breath and take that time and be like, this is what you need. And to really clearly communicate that to the person on the other end. And remember that the way you clearly communicate that to a dif- to different people may vary. Some people get that right away. Some people need it in writing and then remind it over the phone. And that you should never assume that the person on the receiving end understands what you're saying. You might have to clarify, especially nowadays. Like, I don't know how many people fresh out of college that know what a bank certified check is anymore. It's kind of old school. Very true. So if you, or that they might not be able to sign a certain lease online because the management company doesn't allow for that or how to get a notary. So it's our job as real estate professionals to take those extra steps. And I think sometimes when we're moving so quickly and especially a market that's crazy for us as well, we forget to take those extra steps and set time aside to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Earlier in the podcast, when I asked you about rent stabilization and rent control, you said, bring it on. So let's go back to that. How is this impacting the market as an aggregate right now? And how is it affecting, you know, just to give you some stats and just preface this, According to Curb, while only 1% of New York City rental units are actually rent controlled, approximately 50% of the city's units are stabilized. So rent stabilization generally applies to apartments uh, in buildings with six or more units constructed before 1974. This includes co-op and condo conversions that were done either on or around that time. So that's a lot of apartments, right? And another study, just before you you answer, according to the NYU Fearman Center study, New York City has 986,840 rent-stabilized apartments. That represents about 47% of the city's total uh, rental housing stock. So again, you know, this, between the two studies, about half the apartments are stabilized in New York City. Don't you think that impacts, and we can't make everybody happy because it's a residential rental game, but don't you think that impacts new people moving in and well, having to pay these exorbitant amounts? Well, I'd be... At- curious about even that statistic like how much of that rent stabilized is really from what is it the j41 tax abatements or things where it's like new development and i don't necessarily expect you to have the answer to that talk that's interesting yeah that's but like i'd be curious like you're saying it's 50 percent, and listen we're talking about you know a, a lot of landlords in the earlier 2000s before destabilizing apartments those laws change there were ways to set up that landlords could destabilize apartments that they can't do anymore so i would be curious how many because like that statistic doesn't feel right to me i don't know that for a fact but if you throw in maybe some of the new development buildings that have tax abatements then maybe it would be i mean i and i wouldn't think that's the majority let's just say that's 10 percent of it or maybe even 15 percent of it all right so you think about some of the major buildings that are rentals like peter cooper village sty town Mm -hmm. and then you have some of the equity residential quote-unquote new dev new development buildings that are on the uber high end that are capped right they're capped they're rent stabilized those not a lot of people can afford those apartments anyway and the preferential rents are typically set above what the market's going to command in the in the first place so what do you think is is how even if it's fifty percent, fifteen percent, or twenty percent, even of the fifty percent of the housing stock, there's still a lot more. You know, thirty percent, thirty-five percent, maybe even forty percent of the housing stock is still stabilized. Don't you think that's? And I know you're a proponent of stabilization. That's great. I just want to know what your thoughts on you know someone 
that let's just say is just graduating college since we were just talking about younger people yeah that are moving into the city and are getting screwed because well you know to to lack of a better word for it there's just not enough inventory yeah i honestly and i don't have all i don't have the answers for this but i think there probably needs to be a massive overhaul of how we do rent regulation in new york city to allow for various types of rent stabilization you know it in between tenants why can't a landlord bring apartment closer to a market rent within reason and then maybe the rent gets more like locked in with certain renewals once a new tenant is in there to ensure that they can continue to afford it why isn't there more of a middle ground rent stabilization tends to be considered so extreme because it tends to keep people's rents really low and then if you have people on fixed incomes as well you can't raise their rent there's different rules on that and i am not a rent stabilization attorney or anything like that mm-hmm. so i cannot give legal advice sure. but you know i feel like the something that could be helpful would be to have more middle grounds for people that are moving to the city and i don't know if this is true but i i wish i could remember where i read this article about how there's I don't know the number, but a large number of rent regulated apartments sitting vacant in New York City because landlords say that they can't afford to fix them up to make them habitable because of the you know course, the cost of cars. And I and I have no idea I'm I'm sure that is true and then especially nowadays with the cost of materials, but like those are the things where I'm like government needs to get involved to ensure Every viable housing in New York City should be able to be occupied and safely so. Um, and there has to be a way to figure that out. And yes, all of these things cost money, but I don't know, government, just make it happen. You mm-hmm. make other things happen, just make this happen. Um, and I know, I'm sure it's way more complicated than that, but that's kind of how I think. If I could just like magic paint stroke it all, that's that's what I think is... There needs to be some sort of maybe incentives for landlords or maybe they get some sort of tax break by fixing up those rent stabilized units or doing this, that and the other thing to ensure while also maybe allowing more flexibility in between tenants for larger increases than they currently do. And maybe special loans for them to modernize rent stabilized units while still keeping them rent stabilized. I don't know if any of those things would work, but it seems, you know, got to throw a couple of things against the wall to see what sticks. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with or disagree with the statement of if every single rent stabilized, rent control, control department were to become free market today, everybody as an aggregate will be paying less rent? No. No. Why is that? Oh, I think there is, if there's still not enough housing, for the amount of people looking, it'll drive up the cost, and it's not reasonable to expect that landlords wouldn't, I don't wanna use the term take advantage, because I don't like to paint landlords as like a negative thing, but I, I don't think that rent stabilization, in every sense of the word, keeps rents elsewhere higher. I, I, I think if there was none, it would only make everything higher. Right. Mm-hmm. This leads me to my next question, and there's been a lot of contention between the left and the right, the Republicans and the Democrats, the rise of people like the like AOC, who are proponents of obviously rent stabilization, rent control, 
and all, all of that, which you know, we all understand. Americans, politicians, New Yorkers, the upper class, the middle class, the lower class, all have a typical view of landlords or owners, operators in New York City. And landlords is a very broad term. They could be people like, they could be people like Equity Residential, they're REITs, or UDR, it's another REIT. Or they could be Mr. John Smith that used to live in that one apartment and now lives in Central Jersey. Perhaps greedy, maybe somewhat inhumane, or unforgiving, uh, or an unforgiving man or woman, right? They're shaking their fists. Mm -hmm. uh, in your point of view, in New York City specifically, why do people view landlords as the evil character? Well, I think specifically in New York, it's because so many people rent um, and the cost of living is so high. Most of the buildings are on the older side and therefore require more repairs and upkeep. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to like blame the landlord. And just like in any other professions, there are good landlords, there are bad landlords, there are reasonable tenants, there are unreasonable tenants. You know, I and is there something maybe and this is maybe a little too philosophical, but like maybe there's something wrong with the fact that people's shelter is a, you know, is is just that for one group of people and then people's business and profit is that person's shelter. Yeah, there's something very conflicting about that relationship. And I don't, you know, it's, it's going to sometimes cause some tension. But I think just with any profession, there's good, there's bad, there's reasonable, and there's unreasonable. And if everybody kind of like added a little more humanity to it, we'd probably all be a little bit better off. You're, you can't immediately be like, I'm not paying rent. If your landlord's like, I understand you have this leak, I'll send somebody out, and you don't like how fast they sent it out, well, they might not have been able to get anybody any sooner. Right, right. The landlords just in general, let's just say uh, the rental legislation law that was initiated in the summer of 2019, the, which the state legislature specifically enacted a couple rules that were very anti-landlord. And I, we're not going to get into every single line mm -hmm. item of the legislation, but obviously politicians did it in a way to gain votes right let's protect the masses let's protect the tenants let's protect the the, the poor people that can't afford to pay their rent and then COVID hit and all right now let's you know enact another rule where uh you, you, you know you it's, whether it's a potential rental strike if it's an eviction ban you know the, the landlords seem to be put on this pedestal where everyone can throw tomatoes at mm -hmm. this landlord "Quote unquote landlord institution or or being, and um, you know I want the readers to know who are these landlords? What type of people are they? Or what type of companies are they? Who are they? I mean, for the most part, they're just anybody else you know working, right? right. Like yes, you have you have the big you have the big you know equity residential Avalon Bay, yeah, the big oh, behemoths sure. that they're Related. you're talking about a massive company and the only person that you're really de dealing with." is maybe your immediate property manager or community manager and there's this big thing going on behind it but sometimes it's just you know a person who bought a condo and they're not ready to sell it but they live somewhere else now and they rent it out and they're no different from you except maybe they own this piece of property that they rent out to you or 
you know, there, there are a couple of dudes who used to work at Marcus and Millichamp and they were like, I don't want to just brokerage building. I want to renovate them and be a landlord. Um, I can do this better than other people or, you know, so it, it is, it is a variety and sometimes they're good at it and sometimes they're not. So who, going back to the politicians and the people, who do they, why, who are they hating on? Are they hating on the REITs? Are they hating on the mom and pops or the Marcus Millichap brokers? Are they hating on, you know, what what exactly is the hate aimed at, in your opinion? I mean, I don't know if they're really hating the. I don't know if the politicians are really hating on them because the real estate people are the one that's donating to them. Right. Um, but I, I do think there is, you know, just like how you would complain about your boss. Your landlord's <laughs> kind of like your boss, okay, right? The they're the ones that can, they're the ones who like could <laughs> take your money, control when they fix something, control when you get your money. Like, yeah, it's not always a pleasant environment, honestly. And this is probably not a popular opinion in real estate. Please, I, think, I love it. Yeah, I think the there is a direct conflict with shelter homes and for-profit capitalism money. This is what I do for a living, you know? But like, yeah, these are gonna clash. And I don't know if there's ever a happy, 100% a happy medium, but some of, the, some of the aspects of the 2019 rent change laws, it's like, uh, they're not that big of a deal, right? Landlords, you can still raise the rent over 5%. You just have to pay attention when the leases expire and give notice accordingly. What was the date line, de- uh, deadline again? If that? I can repeat this all to you, the landlords can remember it. If they have lived in the apartment for less than 12 months, not a 12-month lease, lived in the apartment for less than 12 months, you have to give 30 days notice. If they have lived in the apartment less than two years, you have to give 60 days notice. And if they've lived in the apartment less than three years, or I guess more after that, you have to give them 90 days notice. And is there a cap on the rent if it's a free market apartment? There is no cap on the rent as long as you give that amount of That's notice. Right. And if it's not within that date, then what happens? Then there is a max and of 5% that you can raise the rent. That's right. So, so you just have to keep good books. <laughs> very good point. Let's go back to, let's switch to our business. In what ways do you think the rental system is broken and or in need of significant improvement? Um, I think a lack of transparency and understanding of how rentals work in New York City, the lack of an MLS, and maybe raising the bar on what it takes to get a real estate license in the state of New York would help just like a little Can bit. Can you describe that a, 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 in a couple sentences? What and, do you mean by the licenses raising the bar? I mean... Getting your real estate license in New York City costs what, like five hundred dollars? Can you still get a Groupon for it? I I know you'll be able to. Um, You have to pass two multiple choice exams, and the amount of hours are—I forget what the hours are to get your brand new license. Fifty or forty or something. Seventy-two. Yeah, I think it's seventy-two. Maybe it's seventy-five. It's not that much, man. I for a hot minute. It was a mistake. Don't judge me for it. But for a hot minute, I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was trying to get my Ohio real estate license, and it was $1,400 and like a zillion hours. If you're in Cincinnati, you also have to get a, the Kentucky license too, right? Because you want to go over the river. You probably should. I didn't complete it, and we moved back. <laughs> uh, but yes, and I don't know if they have reciprocity. But yeah. But so- yeah, it's a bar's higher in Cincinnati. 
let's just say that's, that's a struggle for me to say out loud but yes the bar <laughs> it there are other states where it's a little more challenging to get your real estate license um i don't necessarily condone something necessarily think something needs to be more expensive but like maybe maybe raising the bar a little bit you know i think real estate agents should take more responsibility to share that knowledge we we always feel the need to keep things very close to us like we and i i think that's a mistake what do you mean the being the gatekeeper of data yes being the gatekeeper Mm -hmm. of data and i think the general industry had that attitude for a really long time hence why new york does not have any sort of consumer facing mls and they are working on trying to do something like that now at city snap we'll see how it goes Mm -hmm. but um I think that that creates no single source of truth for us. So it's hard to therefore be transparent to the consumer. And I think transparency creates better relationships. It doesn't necessarily create more ways for them to go behind our backs. I think good owners and good management companies respect the brokers they work with and ensure that that does not happen. Where you said something about the the transparency of data. I mean, what kind of transparency are you looking for in a consumer? Are you, are you talking about the landlord's numbers and their names? No, or? no, I'm not talking about that, but I'm just talking about a general understanding of the business. Like, okay, yes, that building might have a no fee banner on it, but I've taken you to X amount of properties. So I'm providing you a service. Mm-hmm. No, I don't just like put up an ad and things like magically happen. Like mm-hmm. I do the work and you are relying on my knowledge, get your paperwork in order, put it in a nice pretty package so it's easy for the person on the receiving end to approve. Like having those conversations up front and being like, this is what I do for you. You don't want to pay for it. That's fine. I'll go find somebody else. Sure. Um, but I think having those conversations and giving us more tools earlier on in our career and more teachings on how to navigate those conversations instead of making us think we all have to be gatekeepers. I think that would add more, more transparency would add more respect to the work that we do because as a real estate agent, I might be a manager now, but like I've pounded the pavement doing rentals and sales. Like it's a lot of work. It's really hard. And you are dealing with people in the most stressful times in their lives. And sometimes they take it out on you. They do. So They'll say, well, you showed me five homes, but I could have done that myself. Yeah, sure you could have. Sure you could have. That's why I have... That's why there's a whole industry based around this, because it's so easy. So this goes to my next question. Mm -hmm. Why are broker fee structures in, in the way they are in New York City? Now... If you rented in Cincinnati, Ohio, I'm sure the renting experience, getting the approval, showing the the fee structure is going to be completely different. But why do you think the New York City broker fees system is structured in that tenants may have to pay as high as 15% of the annualized rent? I mean, I think that, I don't know this for a fact. I don't know. I mean, there's certainly not 15% of the annual rent in Cincinnati and Ohio. (laughs) Even And even if they were, the annual rent's a lot lower. Mm -hmm. But... It has to do with what supply and demand, the need, people make more money here, the expectation is they can pay more money here. How we landed on 15%, I honestly never asked that question. Yeah, it just it's, got it's here. It's very interesting. I, it's not even an industry standard, but it's like you, if you charge more than 15%, it's taboo. And if you charge less, well, then well, you can't really talk Yeah, you're leaving money on the table, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're um, back, according right. to your manager. But right. the agent will be like, well, why do you deserve that? Uh, not the agent. And, and the, the, te- renter. the the renters will say, "Well, why do you deserve all of this money?" 
And you're like, I just climbed five, six floor walk-ups today and tried to make it look easy for you. That's why. Okay, well, what about, give me another scenario. Danielle let's just knows say, what I'm talking about. <laughs> let's just say that I contact Danielle directly on Street Easy. And she's mm -hmm. exclusive to uh, 25 Fifth Avenue E-Line, one bedroom. And it's $5,000, or let's just say it's 5000 a month. I didn't see anything else. I didn't hire anybody else. But then she's also still asking 15%, which uh, lands to be about thirteen and a half, fourteen thousand dollars dollars Or I'm sorry, uh, about, about yeah, some $12,000, right? Mm -hmm. So what's the, what do you think about that? I mean, is, if someone is going directly to the exclusive agent and they're still asking 15%, is that... Danielle, how much does Street Easy cost you a day? Is it like $7 yes, now? $6 a day Six. to have an ad on Street Easy. That's bananas. Um, your professional photos. All of the things that they have put out there to get you in there, let alone what they deal with with the owner. I mean, do I think if you're representing an exclusive listing, it probably makes more sense for the owner to pay you? Yeah, sure. But that's not what we do in the city. Right. And the owners don't have to do it in a good yeah, way. Yeah, and they don't have to do it. And I, it's the cost of, of renting in New York. And is it right? Is it fair? I don't know. But what I can tell you is... You do a lot of work to get there. And anybody who works in a commission type business will tell you some deals fall in your lap and are really easy. Some deals are not. And it is not, there's no correlation with the amount of money you make, right? I had a $4 million sale fall in my lap. I had a $500,000 condo sale ruin my life over the course of like nine months like it, it doesn't ruin your life you gotta go into therapy and yeah take yeah like i just <laughs> like it just there's no it doesn't always matter and and no matter what yes you as the consumer pay for it mm -hmm. and you can be upset about it or you can live somewhere else i mean i you know i don't i i don't want to sound like un empathetic I, right. I get it but like i pay broker fees you pay people for the work that they do and this is what they're paid for it uh my other question that relates to this is i think because of the 15 percent broker fee or even just even paying a broker at all they tend to get a bad rep and maybe i'm being naive and maybe it's not just about the fee maybe it's because the industry barrier is very low so you get interesting people that may not qualify uh, generally speaking, to be in this business, to be showing people around that are maybe, you know, they don't know New York City real estate, but they're Ivy educated. So they know, they think they know the, they masters, they of the know. masters of the universe. Mm -hmm. Why do you think brokers get, a, or do brokers get a rad, rad, bad rap? Or is that just, is it just rental brokers? Or why do you, what do you think that is? I think all brokers get a bad rap. I think rental brokers especially get a bad rap. I think they also kind of have, there's a stigma against it in the industry. The amount of times an agent, even at Compass, will call me and be like, Julia, I just have this question about a rental. I, you know, I normally do sales, but I have this rental. And I'm just like, it, it's okay to do both. And you should do both. This is New York City. Right. Some so, agents look down on rentals, Yeah, they right? do. And yeah. it, is, it, is, it is less money, usually for more Ten work. Ten times less money. Yeah, usually for more work. But they tend to be, you know more resilient right um people are always moving to new york uh interest rates are going up some people are getting pushed out of purchasing well they're not leaving new york city necessarily so they're going to rent something like 70 percent of the city rents 
So you're actually leaving money on the table by not being able to cater to those people. Mm -hmm. But I think also what you have, I think there's a lot of reasons we have a bad rap. We have a bad rap because who wants to pay for a service? No one wants to pay for a service that they believe they can, anybody can do themselves. And also when in other places in the country, you don't always pay or you don't pay as much. I think some agents are better than others. Uh, that's probably a big factor. And I think there's a weird dynamic with, for me, this is my job. For you, the consumer, this is probably one of the more stressful moments you deal with in your life. And my job is to be this like calm and to give you the information. And even if I do that all appropriately, it's still stressful for you because you have to find a place to live. And for me, it's just my day job. And that is, that is a little weird. And I think some agents aren't, there are good agents, there are bad agents, there are a lot of us in this city, and I think everybody has dealt with a bad agent, and if they haven't, they had a friend who dealt with an agent, or there was a situation out of that agent's control that they got blamed for, and even though, you it's know... It's easy to blame the broker. It's easy to yeah. blame the broker. Sure. No, that's totally understandable. Um, we have a lot of issues with... The, it, just within our rental portfolio, within our business, where the tenants tend to think that we're definitely not providing them a service, even though they, they are seeing that we're providing them with a service. A majority of our businesses on the co-op and condo side representing the shareholders or individuals. And while they see that going through a board package is not very easy, they don't really see what's going on in the back. And I just feel like they're still not appreciative of the Well, talk. how are they going to know? That, uh, how are I, they going to know about those hurdles if you don't tell them about it? Well, I, within I, I, reason. I don't think we, we're also not spending our time educating them on what's going on behind the scenes. We just need them to get these hurdles in front of them done because that's, <laughs> that's how they're going to cross the goal line. Uh, yes, you know? and I'm, I'm not saying you go into the nitty gritty of it, but... I think part of it should be like, listen, you're applying for this co-op for rent. There is a board package. The board is scrupulous and like things need to be tight. I need X, Y, and Z from you. And then just so you know, I need, you need to get it to me by this date. So I have enough time to go through it all, put it all in order, do this, that, and the other thing. Then we submit it. Then um, in probably four to six weeks, we'll get a co-op board meeting and, um, it's our job to advise them. And you know what? Who cares if they're not appreciative? As long as they're going through the process, even if they're occasionally difficult, as long as they do what we need them to do and pay us when we're done, that's good enough. One of the most ironic things I find in this business, in sales, but more so in rentals, Danielle, let me know if you agree with me on this, is there's almost always never both sides that are happy. Let me re let me rephrase that. Let me say that. Let me say this to you again. Okay? Talk. I think something There's, might be up with your business. It, I don't know be, about that. It might be. I mean, I would say I'm probably one of the strongest listing side brokers in New York City that does not do any development. I mean, I've done it, but you know, but that's not our specialty. Um, the tenants are. They feel it's almost always. We represent mostly landlords. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really do tenant side work, but not anymore, at least. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the tenants are, they feel like they pay too much to move in, A. They 
felt like they got totally undressed by us because of the amount of documents that we pulled from them. And they had to wait an X amount of time to get approval to move in. They just, they just ran out of their pay, they, they ran out of their patient bucket, just mm-hmm. ran out. Um, and yeah, they got in finally, but they just, you know, feel like they're just totally exhausted by the time they've gone through the process. And Danielle, what, do you agree with me on this? I agree with you. Yeah, there there have been a lot of people who've been feeling that way, but I've, I've experienced a lot of people who've been grateful lately too. I think because the rental market is such madness right now, there occasionally when everything just goes extremely smooth for both parties i find some tenants are really thankful just because they know how crazy it is that's right and they're like just glad to be in and appreciate that someone's been communicative if you're getting more of that frustration just because by the time they got to you and got that apartment they've maybe missed out on a couple they've maybe been to some open houses where it's very hot in unair conditioned hallways (laughs) and they're waiting online to get in there but i do think more often than not, I'm not going to say these people are going to be your best friend. I'm not going to say there's not going to be any heatedness in the process or questions. But if you are transparent with renters in the beginning about the process, what you will need from them, and when you have to ask for it again, they might get frustrated and they might get upset and they might communicate that to you, but it won't be directed at you. And then assuming you get them to the finish line, I do think we have a lot of control. And also, if people are giving you a hard time, you can always say, and this can be difficult when you're representing a landlord because you obviously want to get them the best deal possible. But you can always say, be like, listen, person, I need X, Y, Z. This is the process. I cannot change the process. And if this does not work for you, this might not be the apartment for you. That is your decision. And then they file a complaint for discrimination. (laughs) <laughs> well, don't give them any multiple, reason to file times. for a complaint. But if you have the same, uh, I mean, it is a problem. And they write a bad review about it, about you. They might, and there oh, will be that. The time. But I do think more often than not, if you take those extra steps to be clear in the beginning. Listen, I used to run a $5 million portfolio of exclusive rental business and 30 agents under me handling it. There's very few scenarios that I haven't seen happen. Some people are difficult. Some people will never be happy. But more often than not, if you do your job and do it well, and it is harder for us right now. And I I do think that is confusing for a lot of the consumers, right? They think it's a crazy market and that we love it. We, for the most part, we don't. It's too much right now, right? It's insane. We don't want, you you put a listing up, you get 50 emails and you're just like, how am I going to show all these people? How am I going to talk to all these people? 50 emails equates to 400 calls. It's four times that because people want to talk to you. It's a lot for us. We're tired. (laughs) We have families. We have friends, right? Like I, and I think that's lost on people. Finding a way to humanize yourself, do your job and balance your professional life and your personal life is very hard, especially this time of year doing rentals. Um, But you have to do it and you have to provide that service. And if you do not have the time to do it, then you might need to filter out leads or filter out listings because that is the stuff that will ultimately save you headaches in the future. (laughs) I just just thought that, you know, in the sales business, yeah, both sellers close, they're happy, assuming that it's a price that they like. 
buyers closed. They're finally happy because they got the board approval. But for some reason, the rental, there's just a lot well, of Well, because anger. in sales, we have the Angst. attorneys to blame. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yeah. us in the rental yeah. game. But And also, with your buyers and sellers, you work with them a longer time. You have a lot of time to build that trust, that That's relationship. Right, 100%. You yeah. don't always have that in rentals because it happens at such a, spat, so a faster so speed. Can you, what's a message you could give in a couple sentences to angry renters right now that either are working with brokers or searching or maybe you just moved in, but they're still angry? I mean, well, first of all, if you moved in, don't be angry. Just enjoy yeah. your new home. <laughs> um, Not everybody is. That. We just had one right now like, yeah. last week. And, you know, also remember, remind people that once you are a tenant in the apartment, technically, our job is finished, right? Your gripes are something's not fixed if something's not right it's with your management company it's with your landlord a lot of times we do help facilitate that but yeah no i can't go i don't know how to change the water pressure in in your in your shower shower. i don't i don't know how to do that and also you live on like the 25th floor i have no idea um so i think it's also don't misplace your frustration in the process and what's going on in the market onto who us who are ultimately we're just service providers if anything we're helping you get to the finish line you might not like what that process looks like um but we're here to help guide you for it and if you don't like who you're working with go find somebody else right Mm -hmm. yeah you always can find somebody else i we're running out of time i know you're a busy lady so i have to uh, ask wrap up with two last final questions you worked at Bold, and you ran a, we talked about this, a portfolio of $10 million worth of, or approximately five, 10, maybe more. I'll take five, 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 five. Multiple low-rise buildings. And I, you guys actually had, um, not really stole a client, but they, <laughs> I had a client, Slate Property Group, that had a couple of their buildings. Mm, I'm just uh, dusting my shoulders Bold right now. Bold <laughs> had, had taken away. It's probably because my assumption is that the, uh, uh, the Bold was taking less than a one-month OP on some of these listings. Uh, if that possible, but, but I don't think we did for Slate. I'll be honest. For Slate, no. Uh, I, I did not work on all of their buildings. Okay. So. Yeah, because you were mostly in Brooklyn. I was. And, and I, I was working oversaw in, Brooklyn and Queens. I did Slate's uh, two of their midtown properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any event, that's besides the point. Maybe they just liked what, us better. What did you talk? learn <laughs> when you were working on the landlord side on these low-rise new devs? I honestly, the biggest thing I learned did not come from the landlord side. It probably came from, maybe it did just as a whole, uh, managing agents and having to be the person who calls the client when they're upset, whether it's, I guess this falls into the land, whether they're upset with our agent or whether they're upset with the landlord because maybe it was a new development and maybe they overshot and maybe it wasn't going to be ready in time mm-hmm. and we had to push their move-in date back. I learned a lot about people and empathy and how to communicate with people and that at the end of the day, when people are upset or not getting what they want, all they really, you they know you can't change it, but all they really want to be heard. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I got for representing landlords was not so much on the landlord side. Landlords just want to know if there's a problem, you're going to fix it, right? That's very simple. Or, hey, this is the problem we have. These are the two solutions I think we should move forward to. Which one do you want to pick? That's most landlords, right? Mm -hmm. We solve landlords' problems. But because you represented so many units in in this portfolio, you got to experience the angry mom and the son that was about to move in 
oh, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And more often than not, I was pretty good at diffusing those situations okay. because at some point I realized within reason, this is not true for everybody, of mm-hmm. course, some people will not be happy until they have scorched earth. But for the most part, people just want to be heard. People just want to understand that there is nothing that can be done. So a lot of times by the time they got to speak to me, I heard them, I empathized with them, and basically reassured them that these were their only two options okay. if they wanted to proceed. Yeah, and they were happy or they were satisfied with... Happy, I wouldn't say, but they were satisfied. They knew they had gotten to the point where I could let hypothetically let them out of their lease, give them their money back, they could find somewhere else, or they could go live in a hotel for two weeks, or whatever the situation may be. Or that our agent should have communicated XYZ better, sure. but they didn't. But I can, this is back when application fees were more than $20. I can, you know, refund an application, refund an application sure. fee, send a nice bottle of wine, write a handwritten note and be like, but you're going to move into this apartment. It's going to be so great. Mm-hmm. Do you remember uh, 236 Howard Avenue in Bedside? Why? That was your broker blast in 2015. Why do you? Why? Why? Yes, I do remember that yeah. building. Four uh, bedrooms. Four bedrooms. That's right. Four two bed, four two bedrooms. Baths. Yeah. Four yeah. bedrooms. One two of the, baths. It's a big apartment. It was a very big apartment in an area of Bedsty that was very up and coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, Howard Avenue. Yeah. So that's east of DeKalb, right? So oh yeah. Further out. Yeah. So you know, it's funny. Is that I was I, when you sent that broker blast out in 2015. That was in February. Uh, that unit was asking twenty six fifty plus a well, month free. We probably gave two. Don't two months free. Anybody. Wow. <laughs> I don't know that but for a fact. Those are difficult conversations that you have with the owners. I will actually probably, say right? the owners of the building at that time were owners that I did a lot of work with. So even though they didn't always like what I said, they knew it to be true. Sure. I knew their business. They knew me. They trusted you. They, there was trust. So, so there's probably learning in that as a as a good as a good broker that reps landlords is how to be truthful without pissing them off or hurting their feelings yeah you give people the facts whether it's providing data or i oftentimes would say listen i think we should do xyz and price it at this based on this market data which i am sharing with you however you're the client you want to list it at this price let's go ahead we'll see what happens and um in two weeks we'll readdress it do you go in, ever go into the mathematics of this? You know, one month vacancy is 8.3% of your lost revenue per year. Two months vacancy is 16.6%. Depends on the client. Yeah. Um, this particular client, they made their money in the refi. So getting those mm-hmm. final amounts was usually... Not care. They don't care. I don't want to say they don't care, but it was a little bit more important than immediate cash flow. Interesting. Okay. So it depends. But also, that's a great question because it really... How you present something depends who's on the receiving end so understanding who your client is and what their needs are is really important yeah there's a lot of funny uh real estate financer mathematics going on in the background depending on what type of ownership it is whether it's a gross rents they want to show to the bank and then not show the net, mm-hmm. net effect of rents or is it a refi do they want to bleed out every month because they don't care they just need to park their money there's a lot of different goals in real estate that uh, i find it very fascinating uh, but just going back to 236 Howard, that apartment was just rented about three months ago. No, two months ago at $3,600 a month. I mean, with let me... With no free rent. Let me or tell two you, months free rent. 236 Howard was huge. Huge, yeah. So you don't huge. see a lot of four bedrooms. So it was that a just stuck huge four-bedroom. King-size bedroom rooms. No joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You know, you, I, I, oh, I went I'm all glad the way to back that. to 2015 to look for your broker blasts. <laughs> <laughs> I have w one more question, and Danielle has a final question to wrap it up. Uh, can you describe me one or two scenarios of uh, compass agents that you had to recently help out through a tough situation? What that that what that was like? Um, I recently had to help a compass agent who was renting out a condo. I think it was in the Lower East Side. They had a very unhappy... What kind of condo? Was this a new dev, older building? On... Um, somewhere in between, right? Okay. Not not brand new, but certainly not... Like a 154 attorney type building. Certainly not old, right? Okay. Smaller, smaller condo building. Right. And I've done so much work in mostly Brooklyn and Queens. I don't know what building you just referred to. 154 attorney, went to Norfolk. I mean, the 2000s, early 2000s, yeah. maybe. Um, probably, probably around there. Okay. Um, I think it was on Grand Street. Um, All right. They... Mess got their wires crossed, messed up. They told the tenant that there was window treatments when there were not window treatments, and and we're talking floor to ceiling windows. Oh, okay, these are these are big window expenses. Big windows, mm. big windows. Mm. Um, be thousands of dollars. Yeah. So tenants really upset. Things get heated. Not gonna lie, our agent didn't handle it that well. So I got involved, spoke to the tenant, and I'm not. Uh, the tenant was wanted to say their piece i let them say their piece and i was like listen i i don't disagree with you we could have handled it better what what would make you happy what what do you want to see mm -hmm, happen because sure. i'm here i'm here to solve it yeah. i don't want to i don't want to keep going around i want you to leave you know i can't t change this situation that happened ship has already sailed yeah but maybe we can maybe we can make you feel better and i already talked to the agent about this is what i felt like the solution should be so i didn't do this without speaking to them first but we basically landed on a partial commission reimbursement so they could go out and get the window treatments of their choice. Sure. That sounds like a great... Yeah. they. I was like, you can look solution. at costs and stuff. In my head, I had like a max that we were willing to spend. They wanted us to spend... Of course, if it's a, a bit more, if it's going to be uh, reimbursed. And, they think they're going to maximize. And I was like, their... you listen, you we're allowed. You get to pick whatever you want. You can take them with you. We pick it out. We're picking the cheapest things. Yeah. So you know, like yeah. we'll pay X amount. I will mail you this check, and you know, after that conversation, they were very amenable. They said thank you, and and it's a it's a done deal. Got it. Got it. Okay. Danielle, do you want to wrap it up here with us for us? Sure. Sure. Now, since you're in a much more managerial role now. And your past role, you were leading a team of 30 or so mm -hmm. agents. But I assume before that, you were, uh, you said you were pounding the pavement, well, real I estate actually, agent. I got, I probably started. Uh, Myron Properties for three years. My, where I started managing other agents, probably only like a year and a half in, two years in. I started oh, wow. managing teams and agents and offices on a much smaller scale than Compass. These were smaller boutique firms very early on. What Myron was, doesn't exist anymore, do they? No, they were... Acquired. acquired by City Habitats, I think in 2015, which mm -hmm. later merged yeah. with Corcoran. Okay. What's one of the things you learned in those early days when you were first starting that you still uh, use to this day? I learned early on that I have a bit of a hot temper. And early on in my career, I was maybe not... It's the jersey in you. It's yeah. the jersey <laughs> in me. Also, I took what I did very seriously. I wanted to be the best I took the level of service that I provided very seriously, the communications, and not everybody did to my standard. And I didn't, something I've learned over the years is my way of doing things is the best way for me. 
it's not always the best way for everybody else. So to allow the agents that I manage or give advice to or mentor the space to take what advice I offer them to work for them. What works for me might not work for you and vice versa. And to, to maybe not mic loosen the reins, don't micromanage too much. It was a little harder for me in the beginning. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, you, you were uh, really thrown in the fire there, huh? Just a year and a half and yeah. jumping yeah. into management. It was, um, like I said, much smaller scale than Compass, but I had started to get a lot of exclusive listings and I could not be everywhere at once. Plus, I did some basic stuff for our office at the time. <laughs> so I started managing agents on my listings, but I was the one that had to speak for the owner. So, sure. you know, talk, I'm, I'm sure you understand what that's like. Of course. And I was young and... Uh, I made a lot of mistakes, but I think it made me a much better person and broker and manager today. Well, I can't say thank you enough for sharing your time with us today. It's and been I, great. Thank you for yeah, having I hope me. It, I hope our listeners really got to enjoy some of the backstory of what really goes on in the world of our rental real estate market and the just the difficulties of actually even being a broker, being in our shoes, but also uh, understanding that uh, you know nothing... The, there's no really perfect business world, unfortunately, when it comes to residential real estate. There's a lot of heated arguments and anger and rent stabilization and broker fees and high rents and just the market dynamics of even today, uh, along with maybe even the heat of the summer. Mm. It just teaches. It makes people cranky. <laughs> it makes people yeah. so angry. <laughs> it really does. Really have water does. at your shellings. Have some water. You <laughs> have know. some sugar. Yeah, have some water. You know, maybe maybe eat a, eat some breakfast. I mean, you know, there's something that is really going around that Carry makes people Carry snacks if you're a broker. Carry <laughs> snacks if you're a broker. That's right. Even brokers get angry in this heat, especially since we're always outside. But Julia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And if do you have a social media following it or do you have any sort of um interest in announcing who you are or i am julia siegel you can email me at julia.siegel at compass.com there you have, <laughs> it. Have, questions. There you have it folks <laughs> <laughs>